Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm the group's resident here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. And so whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Well, hey, good morning, Frontline. Good to see all of you. It's good to have you also if you're joining and watching online. Uh, I don't need a show of hands, but uh, what I'm curious about in the room is uh, how many of you have ever actually been a victim of a crime? Uh, I was actually a victim of a crime years ago. It was about six or seven years ago. Shannon and I had just bought a house. It was definitely a fixer-upper. That's what it qualified as, uh, which meant I spent a lot of time at Lowe's, which is convenient for me because it's right there. So Shannon was scrolling on Marketplace, and she found this posting that caught both of our attention, it was somebody selling some Lowe's gift cards. Normally, alarm bells go up in both of our heads of like, proceed with caution, move slowly. This is probably a scam. Uh, but we, we started looking into it. We were messaging back and forth. The person seemed uh, really forthcoming, really honest, very likable. Uh, I mean, kind of built some trust. And so what I said is, I am not going to get scammed. That's what I, I vowed. Famous last words. I said, I'm not going to get scammed. So I'm going to meet this person at Lowe's. So I met this guy at Lowe's. He showed up. Uh, he was in a nice pickup truck. He was dressed nicely, a little bit older than me. And so he was selling these gift cards. And here was this story. Uh, we had a credit card and it had a lot of points on it. So we cashed in the points for the credit cards or the points for the gift cards. And so we're getting rid of the gift cards because we no longer need them. I went, okay, that, that's a decently believable story, right? Some of you are like, I'm out already. I wish I would have talked to you before this deal. Uh, I'm like, okay, this seems legitimate. And uh, I said, I'd like to check the balances of all of them. That's why I decided to meet at Lowe's. And so we checked the balances of all of them. And three out of four of them were good. One of them had an issue. He ran back inside, came out. I checked it online. It was all good. Here's the thing. He asked me right before we completed the transaction, he goes, what are you going to do with these? And I said, trusting him, I don't really know yet. We bought a fixer upper. There's tons of projects. Like we're going to be using this for a long time because it was a lot of money. It was a thousand dollars that I was, I was buying these for. And so I go, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to use them for yet, but I'm going to use them. And the reason I'm buying them is obviously the value of the gift cards was higher than what I was paying for them. And so he goes, oh, okay, great. So we did the transaction. I handed him the cash. I took the gift cards and I drove away. And I thought, sweet, I'm not Dutch. I could fool you though. I mean, I got a great deal, smoking deal, right? Couple hundred dollars in my pocket of value. Well, it was a great deal until I showed up to Lowe's about four to six weeks later and I'm shopping through Lowe's. And you know what it feels like when you're like, I got money for this. I was kind of like, I don't need all of this, but I need, I'm gonna throw this here and throw this here. I'm gonna add it up. I filled up my cart. I went to the front. I was ready to check out. They scan all my stuff and they go, okay, here's the cost, whatever it is. And I pull out one of my fancy new gift cards. And I hand it to them and they swipe it and it goes, murp, murp. I was like, I, I don't know a lot about cashiers and stuff, but I know that's probably not good because it said zero when it beeped. And so I was like, zero dollars. And she goes, uh, I, do you have another gift card? I was like, yes, but that one has money on it. <laughs> Can you swipe it again? So she swipes it again. Murp, murp. I was like, oh no, you know that pit in your stomach that you just immediately feel. I was like, please try it one more time. I think your system's broken. 
And she swipes it again and it says zero dollars. I go, oh no. And I pull out the other gift card and I hand her the next one and she swipes it, zero dollars. I hand her the next one, zero dollars. Three out of four of those gift cards were zero. You know that feeling when it's like, he got me. I mean, we're, we're four weeks, six weeks later, something like that. I remember looking back and going, I'm going to message him right now, right? As if he kept his Facebook profile active. And so I pull it up and all these things start hitting me like, well, that makes sense. The person we were talking to wasn't the guy that I met. And then he was a little shady right at the end in the communication. And so I try to message. It says the, the profile has been deleted. You can no longer send messages. And for a brief second, I was impressed. Because I was like, I, I was aware, I was asking, I was asking all the right questions, checking all the things, trying to make sure I didn't get scammed. And here's the, the realization, standing there with the cashier, I went, I know how he did it. He took a picture of the back of all four of those gift cards with the pin exposed. So he sold them to me. And after hearing, I'm not using them for the short amount of time, he went and sold them online again. Oh. The best part of this whole story is that Shannon was the one that found the ad in the first place. So I came home and I went, this is an us deal. This isn't just a me, because if it was just a me, we all know I'd be sleeping in the garage for the next month because I just lost a whole lot of money for our family. It was an us deal. It was a blow. And, and then here's what it feels like, right? This is why I tell you the story. What does it feel like when you get wronged like that? What's it feel like when, when you're the victim of an adjustment? I started feeling all these emotions at the cash register and then beyond. I was like, I don't even want this stuff anymore. I hate Lowe's. I don't ever want to shop again. You start reacting, right? You, you're stressed out and then you get angry and then you get resentful. And then all of a sudden you're suspicious and you're suspicious of everybody. I still don't like Marketplace. I still don't like it. I don't trust it. It's because you just learn. Like somebody, somebody looked me in the eye and lied to me. And, and then they... they took something from me. They didn't just take it from me. They took it from my family. They don't know my story. They don't know what I'm going through. They don't, they don't know how hard it was to put that money together, especially in that season when we have all of these expenses on the house. They, they took something from me. They wronged me. And all of these emotions, I mean, you name an emotion, I felt it in that time. Here's why I tell you all of that, right? That part of the story. That's how our friend Jonah, as we close out this series, that's how Jonah felt about the people of Nineveh. Jonah and the Israelites were victims of Nineveh's crimes. Nineveh was known for being brutal. They were part of what's called the Assyrian Empire. They were a brutal empire. They were vicious. They would move in and they would conquer territories. They would invade. They would be absolutely awful to the people. Today, it would be called crimes against humanity and what they would do and how they would treat men and women and children and societies and people that weren't engaged in warfare, how they would be treated. This was a brutal, wicked people and Jonah hated them. He hated them. And you know what? If we could hear a bunch more of the story and a bunch more specifics, we might hate them too. We might understand some of the, the angst and the frustration and the emotions that come up even after my story getting scammed. Those emotions, after years after year after year, decade after decade, a people that oppresses another people over and over and over. So imagine Jonah's pleasant surprise when Jonah gets sent to Nineveh to preach a message of destruction. When Jonah shows up, right? I, I can imagine him saying, finally, 
finally this people's going to get what they're owed. Finally, justice is going to come full circle. Finally, this people is going to perish because of what they've done to me, what they've cost me, what they've cost my people. Finally, things are going to be made right. And so Jonah goes all throughout the city and he proclaims the message that God gave him, which is 40 more days and God is going to destroy you. Can you imagine how frustrated how angry Jonah must have been when he sees the heart change that actually takes place in his arch enemies, when their hearts actually soften towards God, when, when their hearts actually repent, when, when the whole city declares we're in a season of fasting. Take off all your fancy clothes, fancy jewelry. We're going to put on sackcloth, burlap. We're going to cover ourselves with dirt and sand and ash. And we're going to sit and we're going to demonstrate outwardly what our hearts are demonstrating inwardly is that, God, we have wronged you. We have sinned against you. We are wicked and we are owning it and we're repenting. In fact, we're asking God, would you give us mercy? Maybe God won't destroy us if we humble ourselves and, and lower our hearts and lower our postures before the almighty God that Jonah just described. Maybe God will relent. And that's exactly what happened. God did not bring about the destruction that he had promised. Well, Jonah short circuits. He loses it. This is the moment that he had been waiting for, for decades. They're finally going to get what's coming. And then God relents. And the text says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And God asks him, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Is it right for you to be upset? And here's Jonah's response. This comes in chapter four, verse five. Jonah had gone out and he sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. This is such a funny part of the story. Jonah does not engage in God. They're, they're almost having a conversation at this point. And Jonah's response to God is this. I'm not talking to you. I'm gonna come over here. I'm gonna set up my lawn chair. I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna stare and I'm gonna outweigh you, God, because they're wicked and they deserve to be destroyed. So please send the asteroid now. That's what I read. That's the David standard version. He sits down and I, I just picture he crosses his arms going, do it. I'm ready. The guy wants to watch 120,000 people burn. He's upset. And so he sits there and he's waiting. He's waiting saying, God, do it. And then the text continues here. Go ahead and go to the next one. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, interesting word. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. That is my favorite line in the entire book of Jonah. That Jonah, who's throwing a tantrum like my toddler, right? Stomps his foot, crosses his arms and says, no, I don't like this. But God, God's generous. God's nice. God brings about this plant and he grows this plant and the plant provides shelter and shade. So Jonah's in the middle of the desert. He's perched up high and he's watching and he's waiting for God to destroy this city, but it's hot. It is hot, hot. I, we were talking as a teaching team, right? We're part of a zero collective. So we have multiple pastors that all gather every week. We talk about the same text together as we get ready. And what one of them said is uh, he had read somewhere that it could be like up to 124, 125 degrees. That's how hot it was. So Jonah's hot and he builds himself a shelter and he's hiding underneath the shade and he's waiting for God to destroy the city. And he's just waiting and waiting. And God says, I'm going to be nice to Jonah. I'm going to allow this plant to grow up over his head and I'm going to bring ease to the discomfort that he is experiencing. 
so it has a dual meaning here. There's a physical discomfort that Jonah is experiencing from the heat. It's hot. He's tired. He's exhausted. Being this angry for this long is tiring, right? Some of us know that. So Jonah has a physical tiredness, a physical faintness that comes from the heat and the sun and the wind. He, he's tired and he's winded and God gives him relief for this discomfort. But there's also a deeper level of discomfort, isn't there? This isn't just physical for Jonah. This is spiritual. There's something else that's going on under the surface that Jonah has arrived at the conclusion that God is not being fair. God is not being just. That God is allowing his enemies to walk away and to get off for free. And Jonah, to him, that grieves his soul. This is wrong. For Jonah to say this is not right, Jonah meant it on the deepest level possible. God provides this shade that comes through a plant and he eases Jonah's discomfort, not just physically, but also spiritually. And then the text continues here. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. I want you to catch this. God provided. The next day, God provided a worm, uh-oh, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided yet again a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah, welcome to the roller coaster of emotions. Can anybody else relate to Jonah here? In my family, this is, this is me. I play that role. I have high highs and I have low lows. Jonah goes from my favorite verse in the entire book of Jonah, and he was happy about the plant. He's at the top. He loves this plant. He's admiring the plant. He's grateful for the plant. And the second the worm shows up and the heat and the wind that comes, and it's just pressing on him and crushing him, Jonah says, just kill me. I hate this. I don't want to play your game anymore, God. I'd rather just watch you destroy this city. So here's Jonah's plea. God, either they die or I die. Just kill me now. It's an interesting response, isn't it? But God's doing something on purpose. The word God provided is significant. Because just like God provided the plant to ease his discomfort, God also provided for Jonah in a variety of ways that led up to this moment right now. If you remember the beginning of the book, God said, Jonah, I'm calling you to go to Nineveh. I'm calling you to go to your arch enemy. And Jonah says, no, I don't want to go. Jonah ran the opposite direction. And it said, God provided a great wind that came over the sea. God provided a storm an opportunity for Jonah to come back to God. And Jonah said, nope, not doing it. So Jonah gets thrown overboard. And as he's in the water, as he's looking at his impending doom, the waves are crashing over him. He's treading water. He's trying to stay alive. God provides what? A fish. And the fish comes and swallows Jonah. And Jonah spends three days and three nights in the fish. Jonah eventually gets spat up. God continues to provide for the prophet that is bent on running from him. See some of the metaphor at play here? God is going after Jonah. God's attention is no longer on the people of Nineveh. It is solely on Jonah. He's inviting him to come back. God continues to provide things and to provide opportunities for Jonah to turn his attention back on God. And then we'll keep reading here. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? 
And Jonah's response, it is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Something that I've never noticed before in this passage. I've read this most of my life. I mean, I grew up in the church. I've read and I've heard this story. Something I never noticed before was what Jonah was actually angry about. Notice it's in God's question. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about what? The plant. He doesn't say, is it right for you to be angry about the heat? He doesn't say, is it right for you to be angry about the wind? Both of which God provided. He he doesn't even say, is it right for you to be angry about Nineveh? God's not talking about Nineveh right now. God's talking about Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? The plant is significant in the story, far more significant than I ever gave it credit for because the plant provided a covering for Jonah. It's so cool. God provided a covering, a shield, a shade for Jonah as he's in the middle of the desert. He's totally exposed. He's at the whims of whatever the sun and the wind and the elements do to him. God provides a shelter and a covering over Jonah. And when God removes the covering for Jonah, Jonah gets ticked off about it. How dare you take the covering over me? That plant made me happy. The covering, the protection, God, made me happy. And God's, I just picture him going, do you see what's happening here? Jonah, you're upset about the plant that was over your head that provided shade for you from the sun. But what you're demanding is that I remove the protection and the covering that I have placed over my people in Nineveh. You are asking me to remove the covering and to remove the protection so that the wrath of God gets poured out on top of them. That's what you want. You think that's going to satisfy you? And it makes me take a step back and go, what is our idea of justice in this world? If we look at Jonah's model of justice, justice is this, you hurt me, so, so they get hurt. It's not just I hurt you. It's, it's okay, God, th- now you hurt them. It's eye for an eye, it's tooth for tooth, it's shot for shot, it's pain for pain. Here's the problem with that method of justice is when does it end? Think about somebody that's hurt you in the past, somebody that's wronged you or taken something from you, something that, somebody that manipulated you, maybe they stole something from you, they abused you, they hurt you, they took something from you. If you look at that and if you look at that person and you say justice to me means they get back what happened to me, when does it end? I mean, really, when does it end? When does it end in your marriage? When does it end in your relationship with your family or people that don't talk anymore? When does it end at work? When does it end in a country? When does it end in wars? When does it end when shot for shot for shot for shot for shot? Eventually everybody dies. That's what I think happens. God's idea of justice is so different than Jonah's idea of justice. And if we're being honest, then ours. Jonah exclaims to God, They die or I die. You pick. And what blows my mind about God is he he says this. What if there's a third option? What if I die for that? God introduces a totally different model of justice. It's not played out yet in the story. We'll get there. 
But he looks at Jonah and he looks at Jonah's heart and he looks at his desire for justice and God's able to poke holes in it and say, you're the recipient of the covering that I have provided over you, but you demand that I remove the covering over a whole group of people, 120,000 people. You're demanding that they get wrath because they hurt you. The problem with Jonah here is Jonah's not desiring justice. Jonah can only see the pain that he has endured. The pain that he has endured, that he's taken on, that he has faced, not just individually as a people, has shaped and construed and morphed the idea of justice that Jonah thinks he's entitled to. I heard this not that long ago, but isn't it funny? It's kind of a funky position when the person who was wronged is also put in the position to decide what justice looks like. How do you do that fairly? How do you do that equally? And justly, but Jonah, as God gives Jonah opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, engage with me, Jonah. Bring it to me, Jonah. Let me do something with that, Jonah. Jonah refuses. If I read this story, maybe I'm the only one, but when I read this story, I'm a little bit tempted with his responses right now to start cheering for Jonah's destruction. God, he's annoying at this point. He's annoying. Why can't there be a chapter five? And it's just labeled, God deals with Jonah. I kind of, I get excited about that. What's in that chapter? Here's the problem. God has dealt with Jonah in chapters one, two, three, and four. The problem with Jonah is Jonah is actually a lot like us. That the way Jonah approaches justice, the way he approaches injustice, the way he wrestles with pain actually is super relatable for all of us. It's definitely relatable for me. The problem with pain, pain's a funny thing, isn't it? If I had to pick the topic that I would look at or close on for a book like Jonah, pain would not be the area that I would naturally go, I want to close with that. I want to talk about pain, but pain shifts so much how we see. What pain have you endured at the hand of somebody else? What's the pain that you have experienced in your life that as you walk today or as you go to work tomorrow or as you relate to your family at home, what's the place of pain that you say it's definitely still there? What's the place of pain that exists in your life? And what happens inside of you when you experience that pain or when you experience somebody poke that pain? I know a bunch of your stories, even in this room, what, what, what about this? What happens when a car accident leaves you maimed for life and you struggle with chronic pain as a result? What happens inside of you because of that pain? What, what happens if a parent abused you? And then later in life, it led to substance abuse and broken relationships and, and the cost just continues to incur over and over and over. What happens inside of you when that, that spot in your heart gets poked yet again? What happens when a former spouse cheated on you or left you or stole from you or went after the thing that mattered to you most, that, that they just tossed you aside and they moved on with your life? What, what happens when that pain is prevalent in your life? How do you function in that? Or how about this one? What about when you were unjustly fired, let go from a job, betrayed by a friend or a loved one. I think so many of us, our natural response is we get angry, we get self-protective, we get skeptical, we get suspicious, we get reserved, we get bitter, we get closed off, we get distanced from everybody else. That's Jonah. That's us. 
Maybe that's the reason God preserved this book for us for thousands of years, because the prophet that maybe many of us are secretly cheering against at this point is actually ourselves. God's inviting us into something. Jonah is like so many of us. And I think even if if you're a church person, if you're a Jesus follower, if you've been around a church for a while, like, like you might arrive at the conclusion logically that God's way is better, that God is right, that God is just. You, you may arrive there, but, but deep down you go, it's just hard to, to stay there though. It's hard to actually live that out. It's hard to embody that. It, it's hard to accept that, that that actually may be the best way. That's what makes Jonah so relatable. Here's what's so interesting is how much pain dictates and shapes how we see justice and injustice in our world. Julius Caesar was quoted as saying this once. I just thought it was so good. I wanted to share with you. It says, it is easier to find men who will volunteer to die than to find those who are willing to endure pain with patience. That's Jonah. That summarizes the character of Jonah. Jonah is far more willing to die. Take my life, Lord. I'm going to flee the opposite direction. I'm content getting thrown overboard. But the pain that these people has caused me is so great. I would rather die and not deal with it anymore than to live and be patient and to sit in that pain and allow it to do something in our lives. That's, that's Jonah. That's me. That's probably us. And for so long, I I was talking to a bunch of people between services. My own journey with pain is significant. People that hurt me and wronged me and took things from me. I mean, the thoughts that went through my mind for years, just going, "This, this can't, this can't continue. God, you either need to remove them completely or you need to remove me completely. God, I just can't endure this. There's no way this is ever going to be right. There's no way this is ever going to be made right or redeemed or fixed or solved. God, I I just need an out. Do not make me sit in this any longer. What pain do you feel? What is it right now that if God was doing an autopsy on your heart, and he goes, I found the problem. Here's where it is. This is what's very, what, what is the thing that's killing you right now? Because the pain is so deep and substantial. Here's what's funny about the, the whole low story. By the time I figured it out, whatever, I mean, this guy was so long gone. I was sharing it with my small group at the time. And I was like, man, they got me. And of course I was the butt of every joke about gift cards or scams for the next year. But they're, they're, one of them said, I feel like you should still file the police report. I was like, this is like three months, four months removed at this point. Like that's, it's worthless. Like this, he's so far gone. There's no sense. And they, they really convinced me to just file it. So I did, I called the non-emergency number and talked to a, a sheriff's deputy. They sent a detective out to me. They took some information. Where did it happen? And what was the day, whatever. And so I, I gave him the info, described it and he left and I went, well, whatever, you know, it, it was lost in two weeks. I got a phone call from that detective and he goes, found him. I was like, you what? That's my tax dollars at work. <laughs> I was like, you guys are fast. Like, do you do work on the side too? This is great. I got some things I could work through right now. Like just, you could help me. 
he, and he goes up, oh, here's the deal. We found him. I looked him up, went through whatever. He told me kind of some of the details of how he figured out who it was and who wronged me, whatever. It was pretty awesome how he was able to do it. And I was kind of impressed. But then he, he, he says, here's what happened is I showed up at his house. I was like, okay, well, imagine that for him. And he, he said, I showed up, I knocked on the door. He answered it. And he basically goes, got ya. He goes, what do you mean you got me? And he goes, I know what you did. I know you stole from X, Y, Z. And here's the deal. I know you did it on this day at this time. I know this is how you did it. I know this is how you paid for the cards. I, I, I basically got you. So admit it. And he did. He confessed to him on his own doorstep. And he goes, yep, I did do it. And he starts describing his life. Start saying, man, I'm addicted to drugs right now. I'm trying to get off and I can't. I was in rehab or whatever. He, he d details the story. And what, what he actually did was he stole from his dad. So he stole his dad's credit card and then he went to Lowe's and he bought these gift cards and then he stole my money and then he took the gift cards and sold it to somebody else. I mean, it just kept going layer upon layer upon layer. And he starts describing like and crying, like I'm gonna lose my job and I've been in trouble with the law before and this, like he's a very normal guy. They just made a series of really bad decisions that got him in a place that he's really in trouble. And the police officer that's ready to put him in cuffs and take him in is standing on his doorstep. And the cop says, I'm gonna help you out. I'm gonna let you turn yourself in. So the detective calls me and he says, what do you wanna do? You wanna press charges? And what I would normally have thought would be a very clear cut duh, you know, get them out of here. I don't know. Whatever I would have thought years earlier, the way that he described this guy humanized him. And I just paused. I went, I don't, I don't know what, what happens if I press charges. So he starts detailing, he goes to the court and then they decide and push and judge and all that. And and, and I said, what happens if I don't? And he goes, well, if you don't press charges, then it gets entirely left up to the DA. So they'll review the case, they'll review the information, they get to decide what we do with it. And I remember just thinking like, I've never been put in the position to determine somebody's fate like this before. And I, I wasn't gonna be quick. I remember Shannon asked me this question and she said, what if he ends up going to Frontline someday? The detail I didn't tell you is he lives like two miles from here. And, and her question shaped this eternal perspective of what, what do I want to do right now? The whole, the victim being in the position to decide sometimes gets funky. That, I'm just letting you, it just, it was weird. So I said to the police officer, I don't want to press charges. I'll just leave it up to the DA. I'll leave it up to the system. I'll leave it up to decide. I made it clear. I'd still like my money back if that's reasonable. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. I know he ended up turning himself in. I know he went to court. I got a check back about a year later. But knowing what I know now, I'm so glad I made the decision that I did. Here, here was the, the perspective, is I just laid it back at somebody else's feet, who's a third party, who's in a right position to decide and a right position to judge. It's the same thing that God asks us to do. God said, you don't need to impose your own justice. You bring that injustice to me, you ground it. The greatest injustice that has ever taken place happened on the cross. You see a perfect savior, the son of God, 
so moved by love for us, for the world, for those that rejected him, that he laid down his life. He was nailed to a cross. The nails were driven into his hands and his feet. He was whipped, he was beaten. He had a crown of thorns that was jammed on his head till the blood ran in his eyes. He was hoisted up and he was shamed and he was mocked and he was ridiculed. And as he hung there, he looked at all of us, us. And he said, Father, forgive them. I don't even know what they're doing. That's injustice. And the injustice of the cross frees us from imposing our own justice. That's what God invites us to do. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to live out. But what he asks us to do is to take the wrong that was done to you, to take the person that had taken from you, to take the injustice and lay it down at his feet and say, you're the judge. You are God. You are in the position of authority. You're a good father. You're the one that's impartial. You're the one that is right. So God, we just submit this to you. And something happens inside of us when we do that. That God meets us and grows us and teaches us something that is only possible when we actually submit. And when we do submit, God can take it. And he doesn't just pay for it, but God can take it and he can redeem it and he can restore it and he can make it better and he can lead to new life and he can further his kingdom and he gets the glory for all of it. But what he asks us to do is to bring it to himself. This is God's response. If you read the end of it as to Jonah, when, when Jonah says, yes, it is right. God says, you've been concerned about this plant though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. What God says is, I care about people. People are precious to me. I'm the one that gets to administer justice. I'm the one that gets to administer mercy. I'm the one that gets to administer compassion. I'm the one that gets to be in that place. What he asks us to do as his followers is to yield it to him. So just that closing question is this, what injustice do you need to release today? I don't want it to be too simplistic, but I, even last night when I was walking around here in this place, I went, okay, Lord, what are the injustices that I'm holding on to right now? What are the things that have caused pain, that have led to loss, that have led to brokenness, that have led to death in a variety of ways. What, what are the things that I'm holding on to that I want justice served and I know how I want it served? Okay, God, I give that one to you. Okay, I release that one to you. Okay, I yield that one to you. What is it for you? I just wanna encourage you and invite you to use this space to start, to yield it back to him and watch what he can do. As one who's on the journey with you, watch how he can redeem what you are convinced is dead any other way. Watch how God can use that in a mighty way. Let me pray for us quick. So God, we just come before you. <clears throat> and uh, this isn't the topic that many of us like to talk about, especially because it, it pokes wounds and pains and areas of our life that are very, very tender. So God, whatever injustice is at play in our lives, wherever we feel wronged right now, wherever we feel taken advantage of right now, whatever it is that we have a hard time letting go of, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage and the boldness and the strength that we need to forgive that person, 
but not just forgive that person for the wrong, but yield what justice actually looks like back to you. I pray, Lord, that as difficult as that may be, that you would lead us through that process, that you'd surround us with other people who can walk with us through that process. I pray that you would redeem the things that have been broken, that you would redeem the things that have gone undealt with, God, many of us for decades. I pray that we would steward our pain well. I pray that we would submit that back to you. And I pray, Lord, that we would trust you in that process. So God, right now, whatever it, it may be, I pray that we would each take turns, maybe individually sitting in our seat, uh, maybe as an act of worship, that we would lay that down and we would say, God, here's, here's the injustice that I surrender to you. Here's the person that has wronged me that I surrender to you. And God, I pray that we would experience the freedom that comes from doing that. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.